Good morning, CLC. Great to be with you virtually. Um, you know, thank you, Oakland City Marathon, for uh, uh, for uh, surrounding our building. But um, um, it hastens me back to the times when we uh, we couldn't meet. So I'm always uh, always grateful. Um, well, uh, this morning we are on our series Jesus Plus, and um, I want to talk. Uh, about another angle of Jesus and go over who really Jesus is. Um, and one of the things that I've been thinking lately, and I've realized that, that I have had these patterns over the last year or so, um, I've streamed a lot of series. And I've kind of surprised myself. If you went back through, and this would be an interesting kind of study to do, um, you know, uh, coordinating, like, what did you watch? What are all the different series we watched? And then putting together an algor algorithm to, you know, to be able to figure out like how uh, how and what we watched, what it really tells us about ourselves. So um, it's like so. There's a couple of things that hit me. One is this. One of my favorite series that I um, that I actually streamed was Downton Abbey. Didn't see that one coming. Did not realize I would love it. Uh, I would talk to Pam about it like you're not going to believe like one night she actually said what were you like what was that noise you were making and I'm like you're not going to believe what happened on Downton Abbey so um I didn't think that would happen um so there's a few things that I kind of went into areas that I would have never predicted um and I'm sure that might be the same with many of you and like um uh, but the other one is that um, right now I'm watching a series called Inventing Anna. It's about this uh, Russian-born uh, German uh, convicted con artist who moves to New York, pretends to be a German heiress, uh, heiress and then um, basically cons her way into kind of upper New York, you know, society and, um, you know, uh, steals hundreds and thousands of dollars from them and hotels and banks and things like that, right? Um, and uh, and so this has been the latest one, but I've realized that, wait a minute, there, there are many of these, like, I, I really, I, I've watched a lot of documentaries on people. Um, and for some reason, you start going through them, some of them good, but a lot of them just like, terrible. You're like, Oh, this person's terrible. I'm like, I can't wait to watch three more episodes. Right. So um, the Lance Armstrong one that ESPN did was, was fascinating. Uh, just to see who he is, what he does, what he didn't do. Um, uh, the Michael Jordan one was really interesting sports-wise. Um, the um, the WeWork one with Adam Newman, I thought that was fascinating. Like he, uh, I didn't realize there was literally how big a cult of personality in kind of religiously strange it was. Um, but the one that hits closest to home was the uh, Elizabeth Holmes and the uh, Theranos one because it's I, I ride my bike by the right by it on one of my routes because it's only a you know four or five miles from my house their their headquarters um and so um when you go through when you go through that the, the um the, the different people to watch them you you start to you start to pick up on some of these patterns you know the cult of personality uh, what they did um how in the kind of post-mortem how people would talk about them Right. And then um, I started realizing that this, these, hey, these stories are very common to the Bay Area and to the Silicon Valley. And I think they're common because we have a lot of new companies and we have new tech. And um, it 
kind of breeds a certain person and right with big fast growing things there's a lot of weirdness and sometimes a lot of things that are unhealthy and and I'm sure many people in our own congregation uh have have stories around this but as a church I also realize if we're honest this is also these stories are also the experience of many of us in the church um many of us have been in churches where there are toxic relationships we have seen some of the biggest best highest example churches and leaders uh, take huge falls. And I'm just not talking about the televangelists, you know, uh, things that happened in the 80s and 90s. Like those always felt like to many believers, it felt like, <clears throat> well, yeah, of course, we, we kind of saw that coming. But what I didn't see coming was Bill Hybels of Willow Creek, um, prolific author, um, pastor of the largest church in America, you know, for, for that time, for a, a time period, and right, the author of this secret of church. And yet, uh, because of sexual sin and using his position um, to have affairs, uh, he hurt a tremendous amount of people within his church, um, in, in individuals. Um, <clears throat> and the same thing was with kind of the foremost Christian apologetic, apologist, uh, Ravi Zacharias who um, uh, who was this voice for Christian faith, and we found out the same thing. It had a number of sexual um, uh, inappropriate relationships, and it really, uh, um, and we sit there going, wow, why is this happening? Um, <clears throat> in uh, uh, an, an, in a, um, uh, Christianity Today ran a, um, a series on Mark Driscoll, who, for many of you who might not know, he was the pastor of of, um, of Mars Hill Church up in Seattle. He started it, started the Acts 29 network. And it was this growing church full of very young people like, wow, is this the next generation? But sure enough, his leadership was, was incredibly toxic where he was asked to step down for both of those things. And as many people as he helped, it felt like there was even a longer line of people that were really hurt um, by, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> by his uh, by his leadership, and so um, so if we're honest, we see right now this toxicity of, uh, in toxicity in a lot of our leadership, and it, the church is not immune to it. And we have to ask, you know, is is there something wrong? And in fact, in in the series on Mark Driscoll, uh, Christianity Today, who ran the um, the series, said. Is there something about the Christian church where they love toxic leaders? And I think it's a fair question. Uh, maybe you're like me, where we have experienced uh, many of our um, many friends, the people we've gone to church with say, I I'm not coming anymore. Maybe even people in our own family to our heart. Like, I don't believe in it because they've experienced, um, they've experienced harm and hurt. Um, and sometimes the bus off of, 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 you know, leadership, if you would or of bad leadership, or of, uh, of prideful, or, you know, uh, you know, prideful leadership, and um, in organizations that then, you know, follow, and, um, you know, and, and, uh, and, and again, hurt as many people as they help. And so then, I've seen within the same people asking, maybe this is just what the Christian faith is, right? Is it, is it like, these these series where there's some good things going on, but at the core of it, 
you know, it's as much hurt as it is help. And, um, and, and so I think we have to look and take a hard look at it is, is this true? Now, the reason why I bring this up in the very beginning is because I think we need to ask that question. Um, who are we following? And in the series, Jesus Plus, I really want us to look at who is Jesus and who did Jesus say he is? Because it's easy to think about doing church and to think about um, Christian leaders. And, and maybe the question we need to be asking ourselves is that are we following Christian leaders or are we really following Jesus? Now, I don't mean that as a platitude, but the things that we think church should be, are they really the things that Jesus championed and he focused on? And, and so this morning, I want to go back to a very basic question, but one, if we skip over it, leads us into, into some very different places. And the question is, who is Jesus? The answer that I want to talk to uh, talk to us about is Jesus claims to be the Son of God. I want to dig into that. Now, some of this is very straightforward, right? That who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. But let's kind of rediscover and peel it back to say, what does this really mean? And I think by discovering this one aspect of just looking at Jesus and, and kind of redefining who he is, it should it might be helpful then in putting away um, some of the doubts and some of those hard things. Yes, the hard things are going to come. But if our focus and our understanding is on Jesus being the Son of God, then the um, then who we are uh, as a community, good or bad, takes its rightful place. Um, who our pastors or leaders, our board are, then takes its rightful place. But if we skip over that question and we take our cultural version of what we believe church should be to us, if we take our cultural version of what we think a Christian leader should be to us, I think we set ourselves up for failure. And maybe we agree uh, with Christianity Today and say, boy, the church really does love a toxic leader. Really, we should love the God. We should love. Uh, we should love our God, who always confronts. The closer we get to Him, the less the uh, the less toxic toxicity there is, right? And so today, let's walk through who Jesus is as the Son of God. What does that mean? Well, first, let me say this: Number one, Jesus is defined as the Son of God. Now, the myth that we might that people sometimes will say is that Jesus was just a man, or some, uh, some other religions say, well, Jesus was a special man, or he was a special prophet from God. But, he, but make no mistakes, he was just a man. What God's word teaches is different. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was uh, that that was made has been made in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Right? 
So you see what John is doing in this verse. He's saying Jesus is God. Jesus is defined. This is his de- definition. Who is Jesus? He's right. He's Emmanuel, God with us, as it says uh, um, in um, in the uh, uh, in the Old Testament. Right. And it's crucial to understand this. And sometimes there is a confusion in this that we would say when we say Son of God, or Jesus refers to Himself as Son of Man, we think that it might equate something of less than. He's the son of God. He's like God, but a little less, the son. He's one day hoping to work up the courage to take over dad's business or something along those lines. Excuse me, I don't need to be flippant, but right, it's the term, you know, is, is more like a hierarchy term, but this is not in the language what it means. When Jesus has said he's the son of God, it means that he's of the very nature of God. When it says, when he says, I am the son of man, he says, I'm the very nature of man. And, you, and it goes back to that idea that Jesus says, I'm, he comes as fully 100% God and fully 100% man. Some people like to say, well, he was God, but just with a human body. He just wrapped, no, no, he's 100% man. But he has to be 100% God. So when, he, when Jesus refers to himself as the son of, the son of man, you think of, think of Adam in the garden. Even in John 1, uh, John is, has this language referring back to Jesus, everything he was created. And his language in John 1 that we just read refers back to light and darkness. They go, that was Jesus. Jesus created everything that we see. Right? And so what some people do is we make Jesus easier to understand. If you ever had a Mormon or Jehovah Witness come to your door, they will um, often use the same term. Jesus is the son of God. You have to say, what do you mean by that? Well, okay, we all agree. No, we don't agree. You know, Mormons believe that Jesus is the son of God, but they also believe Satan is his brother, right? And you can also be the son of God. You go, okay, that's a very different, different definition than scripture gives us. The Jehovah Witnesses do the same. They believe that, what do we do with Jesus? Well, we'll, we'll make him a man, but he's a, he's a Michael the archangel come, right? That's who he was. So Jesus has completely different meanings, even though they're using uh, the same word. And so this is where it's difficult, because where we're talking about Jesus being God himself and scripture describing him over and over. Jesus says, I and the Father are one, one in spirit, one in purpose, one in essence, right? This was the contrary thing about him. So we don't have time to go into all of uh, the Trinity, but let me just say um, that understanding that Jesus is fully God and putting him in that place, that is the, that is the position of scripture. Um, I was with, uh, when I started a church in Monterey, I had a friend, John, and John was a colonel in the Marines. And he had been stationed in Monterey to go to the Defense Language to, uh, Institute, the DLI. And he was there learning a language to go to another place in the world. And so as I walk around, I realized that every uh, every other person in the Marines that saw him would come to a stop, horror would fill their face, and they would salute him, and they were like, please, please, please don't let this, you know, like, you could just see that they were uh, very, very respectful uh, of his of his ranking. And so walking around with him as a civilian was very interesting, right, because it was not my culture. And so as I was talking to John, I said, John, are you are you the highest ranking officer here? 
you know, for the Marines? He goes, yeah, yeah, I am. I go, so, you know, I got this kind of devilish look. I'm like, so you're in charge? <laughs> He's like, well, not quite. I'm like, well, what do you mean? How does it work? Come on, tell me. I don't know. He's like, well, actually, he goes, there's another officer uh, and he's in charge. And I'm like, why is he, are you, does he outrank you? He goes, no, we have the same rank. And I'm like, do tell, how does that work? Is it kind of finders keepers? Like whoever gets there first, like, how does it work? Um, and he says, well, actually, um, and, and I could tell he gets a little bit serious. He goes, actually, anytime there are two officers together in the same place, we automatically put one in charge. It's just like, it's not like, it's, not, it's nothing we get around to. It's like the first order of business. And I'm like, why, why is that? Why, well, you know, why is that? Like, why aren't you in charge? We, we put one in charge and sometimes we, you know, there's some purposes, you know, there's some protocols and purposes to it. But, but make no mistake, he goes, it is absolutely for order, you know, that we, that we put one person in charge and there is, right, there is never disorder. And it was the first time, it was like a facet of the diamond that I went, oh, that helps the Trinity make sense. And it's, and it, believe me, it's, it's, it's not a perfect analogy. It's just a window into the Trinity. God loves order. Everything he makes has order. Uh, the enemy loves chaos. He loves pulling that apart and making disorder, right? And so when John said that, I went, wait a minute, John, that's the... That's insight into the Trinity, that Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all of the same essence and order, but they put one in charge, right? But there's order to them. So the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father. They go, okay, right? There's, or, there's order to it, but we, never, we, but we never confuse, right, that status with value. And I think that's one of the myths that we do. Jesus is the son of God. He's a value. Jesus is my friend. Maybe I can just, right? Maybe I, I can just take his advice. Right? He's, he's God, but kind of God junior. Right? Now, I've heard Christians sometimes and other people um, kind of give this sentiment. But let's just be clear up top. Jesus is defined as the son of God. I'm the son of God, the very nature and essence of who God is. That's who Jesus claims to be. So when you think son of, you think I'm the very nature of who God is. And then second is this, Jesus claims, Jesus himself claims to be the son of God. And the myth here would be Jesus has never claimed to be God. I've heard people say Jesus never claimed that. I go, well, okay, let's just go to, let's go to one or two places. One is that um, Matthew 16, Jesus is sitting around with his inner circle, with his disciples. He says, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. But who do you say? Who do you say I am, Jesus asked. Peter Simon, uh, Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And then I love this. Jesus ordered the disciples not to tell anybody he was the Messiah. Oh, oh, it was secret. No, no, no. Jesus did this all the time, right? He'd heal somebody and say, don't tell them. Jesus never wanted the spectacle. He did not want to be sensational. This was very common. He did not hire a PR firm. He didn't want marketing, 
He didn't go, okay, how do I build my following online? He didn't do any of that. He was always one of true followers. He didn't lead that way. He was looking for those people. This is true humility. Again, remember Philippians chapter two. Jesus, though he exists in the form of God, removed, he lays down his the kind of glory of God and takes on a body. And so walking around, what good would it be for Jesus to lay down his glory and then walk around going, oh, by the way, even though I lay down my glory, I'm still pretty good. I'm still the son of God. No, he goes, that was not his purpose, right? If that was his purpose, he goes, oh, I'll just, I won't lay down my glory. I'll just come, I'll just come in my brilliance. I'll just come within my power. Instead, he lays all of his power down, Philippians chapter two says. And so, and so his disciples who were with him understood this clearly, right? Mary understood this clearly, right? His mother. Um, even, even those around him, why Jesus was crucified, understood that he claimed to be the son of God, to be God himself. John 10 says this, again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Which of these do you stone me? And he says, and they said to them, we do not stone you for any good works, they replied, but blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. Remember, he would always say, I and the Father are one. So not only did Jesus, is Jesus defined in the scriptures as who, the very nature of who God is, and Jesus claimed himself to be the son of God, even though it was not his forward advertising campaign. Right? Others who saw him and ran into him, their testimonies were that he was the son of God. Right? The myth of that is that his deity was attributed to him later, almost as mythology. Oh, yeah, Jesus was a good man, but then they made him God because they were you know, lonely. They wanted their own. Right? No, that's not, that's not what it is. He claimed. But, but you'll hear people say, now, there is a, there's a lot here that we could go into, um, but I do want to talk about the people that saw him and immediately declared, wait, this must be the son of God. Um, but when, um, um, but when, when, we, uh, when we look at who, who uh, um, people claiming that, oh, this was just attributed by somebody else, remember when the New Testament was written, it was written in a way that people picked it up, they read the books, and they would have said, what? That wasn't Jesus. I heard him, right? Who out of us would ever pick up a book on Hitler and like Hitler had some good ideas? We'd go, did have these good ideas. We'd be like, these are not his ideas. And we are, most of us are within two lifetimes of him. Much less the people who originally read, uh, the, the original people that read the New Testament and spread it. Many of them had heard uh, had had heard of him and had lived within his era. And so that distance and that gap um, is really important. And that's why these stories of like, remember Jesus, when he, um, he meets um, the man who is demon-possessed, Legion. And when he saw Jesus in Mark 5, from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, do not torture me. His disciples held on to that. Like, what, what did he say? Yeah. And, they, and they, they remembered that. The demon, and then 
Jesus, right? The man returns to being saint. The Roman centurions, the soldiers around Jesus when he, when he died, when the centurions and those uh, who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake at his crucifixion and all that had happened, they were terrified. And they exclaimed, surely this was the son of God. They had heard the rumors. They knew why Jesus was being crucified. Jesus was not being crucified because he was a good teacher or he did these works. Like the men who picked up stones to kill him at that time. Um, they said, we're doing this because you, you equivocated yourself to who God was. And believe me, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the same way. His teaching was of a different authority. And so we see that ripple effect of Jesus' life that others claim. And not just others, right? There's some unique things about the Christian faith because Jesus claiming to be God is one thing. But the Christian faith, it, it became a world religion overnight. No other faith has had that happen. Jesus died, you think it would come off, but at Pentecost, it explodes. Thousands and thousands of people from Jerusalem going back to their villages, going back to their countries, believing in Jesus, and it spreads. Nothing like that had ever happened. Others claiming he was the son of God within Jesus' own lifetime. Not that he was just a good teacher, or they picked up his morals or said, this is a great way of life. Um, those things, even though they were true, were not what had the gospel spread virally like it did. It spread virally to the ends of the earth because of not just the claim that Jesus made about himself, but also the claims that other people who came into contact in lives were, their lives were transformed. So who is Jesus to you? Is he God? Because what we see in our, our fourth point is this, is that Jesus' life's life proves that he was the son of God. As I spoke at the, uh, you know, at the start, talking about looking at people's lives, like it's almost like when you watch these documentaries, it's almost like sooner or later, this whole thing, like then it all came tumbling down. Like they started a company and it was amazing. It was a rocket to the moon. And then it all fell apart. And you're like, oh yeah. But people inside were like, we were trying to hold it together. There were some really broken pieces that no one saw, right? It's all the same thing, right? There were threats. There was a cult of like the, the dark side of the person came out trying to control it. You think, well, if Jesus was really telling people he was the son of God, sooner or later, some of this stuff would come out. So let's look at this through the lens of a few di uh, different people that were around Jesus who claimed that, that knew Jesus claimed to be the son of God, to be God himself. First, the lens of his followers, right? In the New Testament, they understood Jesus claimed to be God. All of the disciples besides John, all of them died martyrs' deaths. So you have to ask that question, would you die for a lie? After, and especially after Jesus had already died, would you go on putting your life into that, traveling like many of them did to these distant lands to die for that? It's a powerful, powerful argument. Um, one time when me and a friend, when we were single, uh, we um, 
we were uh, driving on Highway 80 and stopped in Salt Lake City for the night. We got up in the morning and said, hey, let's go over to the temple. We did a tour of the, of the uh, uh, Mormon temple. And, um, and one of the tour guides there, an older gentleman, um, really a nice guy, very, uh, you can tell he's really quick uh, witted. He was trying to kind of evangelize us, asking us questions. So I sat and asked him, I said, wait a minute, I, I got a question for you. I'm like the Book of Mormon. And he had one. Yeah. I go, these people in the front of the book, they're all listed. He goes, yes. I said, is it true that a number of them, 20 or 30% of them, walked away from the Mormon faith? And he looked at me and he says, yes, but they never denied it. And I thought it was the most fascinating answer. Like they walked away, but they didn't deny it. Right. Now, I don't got a lot of friends who are Mormon, and I don't mean to pick on them. But I would say was this, this is a very different experience from the people who saw Jesus died, walked with him, and instead of letting it go, it grew even bigger because they had met Jesus because he had risen again and he had transformed their life. To the lens of his followers, the testimony is that they gave their lives. The lens of faith, let me just say this really quickly, that through the last 2,000 years, millions of people in, in over 2,000 years have had their lives transformed by the message and person of Jesus. Again, not just a way of life, but people who have met Jesus face to face. And it caused them to start schools, start hospitals, serve the poor. And it transcends cultures. It transcends language economies, political system, time periods. All We look back and we study all the different time periods and people in each of those time periods. There, has been, there have been um, thousands and millions of people that have come, not just to a saving knowledge of Jesus, but people who've walked with, uh, with God in faith deeply. It transcends um, all of our human our, our humanness and everything we set up because the son of God is still alive. And if he's still alive, he can work with millions of people through thousands of years in every culture because he loves them all. And he's still walking and living. We believe that this God is alive. That's because he was not just a man. He was really the son of God. And then the last point in this is just the lens of history. Jesus is the most influential person in human history. A man who claimed to be the son of God, to be God himself, has been the most transformational person. Yet he never ruled a nation. He never conquered a land. He, he didn't invent a technology. He didn't invent like this really cool, simple way to live, right? Even though um, there's really cool, simple ways to live if you follow him. But he, he, he instantaneous has been the one that has is, that is, uh, affected more of human history, infected more people than anyone else uh, in the, in, uh, who has ever lived. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said it this way, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. <laughs> But you must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. Right? 
And so with that, I ask this question to you, who is Jesus? Is he really the son of God? Have you made him just your friend? An insurance policy, a way to order your life, or a bailout specialist. I just go to him when I need to be bailed out, but I got everything else. A.W. Tozer says it this way. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For, the, for this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. So how do you think of Jesus? When we stop, I love the way A.W. Tozer thinks about this. When, when we stop asking the question about God himself, then we start making our relationship God about the organization we create, about the important issues facing our culture in front of us, right? And it's not to say these are not questions to be asked, but the primary one, for this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. So is Jesus really the son of God to you? It's a hard question to ask. But how do you place Jesus back in his rightful place? And as we end, let me just say this. The son of God, he really is the one who brings access to the father. You know, the myth of that is something that's free or familiar has less value. And so sometimes I'll hear this sentiment. Well, you know, like, oh, boy, I need to take that to Jesus kind of thing, right? Oh, we need to take that. It's just something we can do. It's one of the many options of solving a problem, right? But, but, it's, um, but it's an amazingly important question. Do you really understand that Jesus, the living God who's still alive, has brought free access? That we are free and through the sun, we're free indeed. You know, um, because a lot of times it's like, almost like a commodity. If something's really plentiful, it must have less value, right? Um, and something that's hard to access really must, right? And so, you know, so um, uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a place where it, you've had a hard time accessing something. Um, I had this experience one time and it was very strange and very humorous to me. Um, so I, I have one of one of my friends is um, the CEO of one of the largest companies in the in the Silicon Valley, and um, so they said, "Hey, why don't we meet? Hey, we want to meet? Yeah, great. Why don't we meet at my office?" I had no idea what I was in for, so I went over to the office, and it was like this three three tier staging area that I had to go through. The first one was the security. I mean, they run a background check; they literally almost pat you down. Uh, not TSA style, but pretty bad, right? So they do this and they hold it. And everybody there, nobody smiles. Everybody is like, they are serious about their jobs, right? And it's almost like going through that TSA airport experience where you're like, do not make a joke. Do not say anything. Just be about your business, right? And so I took all the joy out of my, out of my time. And then after you get through there, they go, okay. And you walk with them. And then they walk you and they just drop you off without saying very much. And I'm in this holding area. And I realized that in the second area, this holding area, I don't know where I am. I'm in a large building. I think I know where I am. I don't know how to get out of here. I am in a, I am in a dystopian future of some sort. <laughs> and then somebody who comes in, somebody else comes down about 10 minutes later, and they have a smile, and they know my name, Mr. Venable. 
would you come with me? And I'm like, yes, I will. So I come with them. And they usher me in what I like to think of as the hotel lobby. Now I am in the executive offices and they are offering me things that I've never heard of. Would you like some water? We have glacier water. I'm like, wow, water from a glacier? That is very nice. Is it, is it, uh, is it Greenland glacier water or Alaskan glacier water? All right. And so they're offering me things. They're being very nice. And then I get ushered in to my friend's office, which is the size of a, you know, hanger that they put blimps in or something. It's just, you know, and I look at them and I say, what the heck was that? <laughs> I just went through and they're like, hi, they rolled their eyes. Like, I know, I know. Like I go, this is, I never meeting you here again. Never. I understand. I mean, it, it makes a sense. It's very important when that person has the authority, when they have the responsibility, I understand that these are really good hoops you have to jump through. But like three weeks later, I just, I had to drop something off. I went to their house. I went up and knocked on the door. They opened the door and I'm like, really? Where's the glacier water? I'm like, where's the security? And they're like, I know, I know. I'm like, anybody can walk up to your door. Um, but it was so much easier to access. Understand that Jesus comes to earth to seek and to save that which was lost. He is God himself. He runs after us. He gives us access. We don't, like before, have to go through these religious you know, stages. We don't have to go from the security to the holding place. It doesn't have to, you know, the uh, day of atonement that Jesus makes access to us easy. What a gift that you can walk in and have communion and fellowship with the God of the universe. Jesus said right before he left this earth, he looked at the disciples and he said, don't forget this. He didn't say that, but I'm going to add it. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. After his resurrection, he picks up all authority in heaven and earth. That's the God, the Jesus we get to meet with. He's not just a friend. He's a friend, but he's not just a friend. He's an advisor, but he's more than an advisor. He's the God that holds everything, the maker and creator of the universe. And so as we end our time, let me ask you, are you asking Jesus questions that are worthy of his authority? Is your relationship with God vibrant? If it's not vibrant, what are the questions you're asking him? Is it Jesus is defined as the son of God? Jesus claims to be the son of God. Others claim to be his life proves it and just ripples through, the, uh, through our history that he was the son of God. And his job was to bring us access so that we could be, we could have communion. In the book of Revelations, at the end of the time, this is one of, my, one of my favorite verses. It says, now I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with man. He will be their God and they will be his people. That has always been God's heart. The God of the universe wants to be with you. He's made a way, but make no mistake, you are meeting with the one who holds all the authority of heaven and earth in his hands. And as we go into our Lenten and Easter season, you can ask Jesus every question. You can bring to him the heaviest things you have. 
you can ask him questions that are worthy of his rightful authority because he loves you and he pursues you. But make no mistake, he has the power and authority um, to do anything that we ask. He has the power and authority to break through anything that holds us back. He can mend our broken hearts and he can come alongside of us when we're at our worst. Um, he never gives up on anyone because he is not just a man, but he is, uh, Jesus is the son of God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your kindness, for your love, and for this transformative truth. Jesus, you are worthy of every part of us. Thank you that you pursued us before we could pursue you. And that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Father, I ask that, as A.W. Tozer said, you would remind us that our thoughts about you are the most important thing about us. Let us place you in our hearts and in our minds and our souls on the throne, that Jesus, that you are very nature God. And thank you for revealing this to us through your word. And we pray this, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.